0: Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Yes, the end of the Skywalker saga as told by the House of Mouse Disney. We're also gonna take a look at Sam Mendez's 1917, a pretty triumphant World War One film, I think, all done in one take, or at least it's designed to look like that. We're gonna talk about the news. We're going over our top 10 of the year. It's gonna be great. I'm very excited to talk about those, uh, and I, I kinda hate my list, but it's because there were a lot of good movies. I couldn't decide on anything. Before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news. Before we get to all of that, I want to take a second, a personal note. Andy, I got married. Is <laughs> That's very right. Exciting. Congratulations! Uh, I was there. Thank the you. Sort you of. Came to the wedding. <laughs> you did. Yeah. You had a speech prepared. I'm sure you didn't give it, but uh, it was it was a good time. Uh, we had a handful of people come up and mention uh, that Andy was the Dr. Draper from Off Script. Very exciting.
1: That's right.
0: Uh, That's right. So th- shout out, shout out to the fans. All right, for, <laughs> for coming out, for showing up. Forget and turn at the wedding. No, it was a great time. Uh, I had a good time down in Houston, getting married. Had a little mini-moon out in San Antonio. It was great, but we're back now for the end of the year. It is the last day of 2019. What a decade. And at some point, we need to talk about like our favorite films of the decade, I guess. I know, Andy, you've been working on a couple of Yeah, that'll lists.
1: be next week, I think.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Hold on. I can probably get something together for that. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You're probably ahead of me. But anyway... A lot happened. It's been a big big decade for film, a big year for film. I'm excited to talk about the best of this year. Before we get to that, we need to talk about the news, of course. And our first story, the Alamo Drafthouse revenues climbed despite box office downturn. I'll be honest, didn't read this article before Andy added it to news. (laughs) So, Andy, please, can you tell us what this is about?
1: Yes, in in a year and a time of streaming and where theaters are struggling to get people in seats, Alamo Drafthouse had a, a... Uh, Their ticket sales were up almost 6% uh, last year, which is even more impressive considering the overall box office was about 5% down in 2018. Uh, So they're doing something right. And part of what what they attribute the success to is um, film variety. They screened over 2,000 films at over the course of 12 months where the average theater comparatively only did a little bit over a thousand about 1100. So number one, they're, they're just, they're providing greater variety and, and that's helping to get people in. They also, they do special events. The Alamo draft house itself is known for being a one of a kind theater. You know, you get the the food, the quietness, the no kids. A lot of them have uh, bars attached to them. So there, there's this little, uh, um, you know, IPA thing going on as well. And all this combining combined is, is really helping the theater.
0: This is a funny story for me because 2019 was the first year I actually went to Alamo draft house. It was only a few months ago that I actually went for the first time. I dodged it. All through school, growing up. Uh, and, uh, they didn't have them in Houston, I don't think. But when I went to uh, University of North Texas, people were going to Alma Draft House all the time to see movies. I never went. This year was the first time. And man, like they stand out just enough to make you want to go back. Like, their unique advertising and, and kind of personal programming is a touch. Their Their affinity for films, not only for what they're showing, but also for retro screenings and events, which they have a ton of. And yeah, they're they're very clear no talking policy, and and the kind of different structure of things really creates an experience that just stands out so much more from the top three theater chains, AMC, Cinemark, and Regal. They all feel the same. Feels like you're yeah, going exactly. to a movie just like any other theater. But Alamo Drafthouse feels different. Um, they've got some wacky ideas, I think, but clearly something's working.
1: Mm-hmm. And they, not only do they all feel unique that they are they're different even from each other like even here in dallas the cedars location is different from richardson is different from las colinas like they all kind of have their own personality and yeah everything feels more special and they also they get behind good films they're not showing duds for the for the most part they're if you if it's on their list of things to see it's because they're excited about it as well
0: Yeah, and like it shows and they've got like custom menus and ads and and paper ads and print and posters and like there's just a general feeling of like passion for cinema that like if you like going to the movies is going to catch you uh, in a surprising way. I've gone out of my way to go to Alamo Draft House since, um, which is wild because normally I wouldn't care, but they're doing something right. So I guess I'm not surprised. I wish the other theaters would take note, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm convinced Disney is going to start building theaters in the next few years. And I'm sure when they do, we're going to see some uh, correlations, but we'll see. We'll see, my little conspiracy theory adds up. <laughs> next story, Bong Joon-ho will present Parasite in black and white, fulfilling a career long dream. Director Bong Joon-ho has always wanted to shoot a black and white film. Until then, he's showing Parasite in black and white at the upcoming Rotterdam Film Festival. Andy, what do you know about this?
1: Uh, well, most of it is in, is in the title. Uh, Bong Joon-ho wants to uh, create a black and white version of, of Parasite, uh, which we're going to talk a lot more about later. Uh, and this has been a trend that, that's been happening a little bit in, in Hollywood. We've talked about uh, Mad Max, uh, Black and Chrome Edition, which is in black and white, which I've seen. Logan Noir, which is uh, the film Logan. Wolverine, which is also in black and white. And it's it's a different experience. Uh, you know, it's, it's not... Wildly different, but it it does it does change the film to kind of see it in in this way. The the way I think of it is, uh, you know, in music, in like classical music, uh, a lot of symphonies, a lot of pieces of music are. You know, they have different ways of performing them depending on your venue or depending on your instrumentation. Um, and it, it kind of changes. It makes a difference. And so that's what he's doing as well. So the, hopefully I would love uh, to get a screening of Parasite in black and white.
0: Last time Bong jun ho kind of experimented with black and white was in a 2009 uh, or 2013 screening of his 2009 film Mother. Um, which Andy saw and I did not, I think there's, we have some kind of loose review for that. I think you went and saw it. We talked about it on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently he was inspired by Nosferatu. Then the, the 1922 silent horror film he saw at some point and said, man, like I was just enraptured, um, by the, kind of the pure experience of it. Uh, there's a lot of haters out there in, in, in the modern <laughs> Damn haters, Jesus. In the- <laughs> A lot of people out there who don't think black and white film is all it's cracked up to be. I'm telling you, it is. There's, there's something to watching a film in black and white. Um, I really wanted to see uh, Mad Max Black and Chrome Edition. Haven't. Uh, did not see Logan Noir either. But I've got an affinity for it. And um, I... I- I don't know if it would translate to Parasite. That's my thing. I think the color spectrum in Parasite is kind of important thematically mm-hmm. to the story, but apparently he doesn't think so. What do you think, Kenny?
1: No, I, I think that's that's true, but I think it definitely... I think it'll make the story kind of, it, it'll affect the film. Definitely. If, I mean, same thing in Mad Max, Mad Max, the color palette, it's definitely like the strong oranges are a huge part of that film. So when you take that out, it definitely kind of changes the, the mood a little bit. And so that's what I think it would do for this film as well. Like it, it'll change the, the, your experience of it for sure.
0: Yeah, I I keep thinking back to those kind of long take shots of the interior of the very, very nice house in Parasite that only really has one large window on one side, and otherwise there's no windows, and there's a lot of warmth and comfort and kind of the lighting in that house, but if you turn it black and white, you lose that a little, and I don't know how that affects the larger story. I'm curious, I I may not jump to go see it like I would for Mad Max, but uh, color me... Curious, I guess. Mm -hmm. Our last story this week, Barack Obama, forty-fourth president of the United (laughs) States, uh, has released his favorite films of twenty nineteen. Seems appropriate to talk about because we're talking about our favorite films of twenty nineteen. But I'm gonna be honest, for running a movie podcast, there's a lot of movies on here I haven't seen.
1: Yes, it's very true.
0: Yeah, Andy, uh how do we do this? Just want to roll over this list? Uh, Yeah,
1: sure. I'll, I'll start. Um, so the first one is a documentary American factory. All this also, these are in uh, alphabetical order. He did not do numerical lists wisely. (laughs) Um, American factory, which is his, is his film, by the way, that's his documentary that's on available on Netflix, uh, about, um, I know it has to do with factories and (laughs) it's between like China and, and American manufacturing something like that. Amazing grace. Apollo 11, which is the documentary, Ashes, Pure as Wise. I remember these titles, but I don't remember some of these movies. Uh, Atlantics, Birds of Passage, Booksmart, Diane, The Farewell, Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Just Mercy, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Little Women, Marriage Story, Parasite, The Souvenir, and Transit. And then he also added uh, just a little bit of TV on here, Fleabag Season 2, Unbelievable, and Watchmen, which uh, I've been re- we've been really excited about.
0: Right, yeah, a little, little peek behind the off-script film scenes. Uh, we, we both really think Watchmen is cool, Andy much more so than me, but it's a cool show. Check it out. Anyway, um, there, like I said, there's some movies on here I've seen that I'm not surprised to see on here, movies like Parasite, uh, The Farewell doesn't surprise me, um, Book Smart even doesn't surprise me too much from Mr. Obama. Uh, other films on here I've never heard of and looking at the titles I don't know and I don't know what that means for me maybe I'm just uncultured (laughs)
1: swine Uh, what do you think of this list Uh, it's interesting and it's interesting that he does this like no other I don't remember other kind of presidents doing this Uh, he also releases his like favorite books of the year favorite uh, music yeah exactly so it's it's interesting and you know I'm I I feel when when there's some you know when he has things on his list and on my list I feel like I'm doing the right thing <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm a little bit in, in touch here with the president himself. Uh, it's interesting and it's interesting that there's you know there's documentaries there's uh, you know there's action film. there's a, a lot of you know um, films focused on uh, black stories uh, w- which is which is really good as well. Um, <laughs> what do you think?
0: I mean, uh, like I said, it. it... <laughs> somehow it seems presidential which I, it seems like a silly way to describe a list but there, there are a lot of very cultured films there's not a lot of really goofy things on here there's a lot of things that are that have a lot to say about society kind of the state of things in the world book smart's pretty cheeky that farewell even is is kind of funny to see on there Um the Irishman is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I know last year he had Roma on his list and I was like, okay, well, are we just checking a box for epic Netflix films or <laughs> we actually appreciate it? Um, but overall, you know, it checks the boxes. I think American Factory is a little bit of a cop out, especially because because it happens to be alphabetical. It is the top of the list which, again, is not numerical, but at the same time, hard to, hard to not look at. Um, overall, though, you know, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with these. He's got some picks on here that are on my top ten, so not bad. Yeah. I do wish he'd done numerical. I do wish he'd done top ten. <laughs> Narrow it down. Make decisions, damn it. This is what cinema is about. You, can't, hey, well, you hey, can't just have everything. It's not, no.
1: Well, what this tells me is that President Obama is a fan of bold cinema. That's true. And that, that's always a good thing.
0: Uh, and speaking of Bolt Cinema, we should talk about our first film of the episode. Andy has graciously agreed to take the summary on this one. Andy, please take it away.
1: Star Wars, Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker.
0: What, uh, what are you doing there 3PO? Taking one last look, sir. At my friends. So...
1: I'm going to be very careful about plot here because the movie's only been out for about a week and a half, so I'm not going to spoil too much, and all the reviews and things I've read have been very spoiler-light as well, so I'm going to do my best here. Basically, we pick up, um, after the events of The Last Jedi, we catch up again with Ray, Finn, (laughs) Poe, Adam Driver's character, Kylo Ren, uh, and we... Attempt to conclude that the story of the Skywalker saga, which began back in 1977, uh, there's some things that we expect, some things we we maybe don't. Uh, there's a lot going on in this this film, um, so we're just going to kind of <laughs> get into it. Like I said, I, I'm going to talk very little uh, about uh, plot and try to talk about this film as broadly as I can. So, Zach, what were your feelings about the Rise of um, Skywalker?
0: Okay. Star Wars... What's the best way to say this? Um, If Star Wars is supposed to be an adventure film series, it's supposed to be a movie you have fun watching, right? And Star Wars Rise of Skywalker has some problems, and it's got some faults that run pretty deep if you're willing to look. But if you sit back in your chair and you munch (laughs) your popcorn and you watch the movie... It's kind of fun. And and I don't want to say I didn't like it. I also can't say I loved it. I'm pretty conflicted on it, but overall, I think I kind of had a good time watching it. And maybe it's more of the sum of its parts for it. I think Star yeah, Skywalker has problems. I think we should talk about them. I think it also has successes, things that work. That's what I think. Andy, what did you think of Rise of Skywalker?
1: Uh I'm in the same boat. So there there are uh, things that work in the film it is a lot of fun it is you know it's a big adventure film there's no shortage of action there's no shortage of of battles and lightsabers and space battles all those things that a lot of star wars fans love at the same time there's a number of things that don't work quite uh as well um so it it, it we, we have a lot of <laughs> plot issues um which Kind of points to a bigger issue, which is just lack of planning on Disney's part. There are there are a lot of decisions made in this film, which I do I like the idea of, but the execution is poor because of what pre- what precedes them in the couple of films, or just kind of the lack of setup.
0: Yeah, you hit something in the middle there that I think is is really important. Uh, it seems like this movie is the penultimate result, or the ultimate result, I should say, of a clear lack of structure across all three films. This movie has to make a lot of like it has to solve a lot of problems that wouldn't normally be there in a well-planned trilogy. Yes, uh, giving individual films to individual directors, giving Episode Seven to J.J. Abrams, giving Episode Eight to Ryan Johnson, giving Episode Nine back to J.J. Abrams, which initially wasn't the plan, like clearly is going to create faults in our in our structure across the entire trilogy. And this is the result of trying to fix those faults and then immediately resolve them to tie up a story. Right. It is a rush of a movie. It is constantly racing to get to the next scene to try to set up and then immediately solve (laughs) problems for our heroes and tie everything up in a neat bow, which ultimately is pretty messy. Still fun to watch, but messy.
1: Um, Right. I I think I was... I was a little bit disappointed, and I, after being away from the film, I still like it's. It is fun to watch. I had fun with my friends, but I, I kind of don't like it, and I think that's it's, it's. It's problems are pretty big for me, and and it's even to the point like I don't even care what happens in these movies at this point. I just want some sort of, of semblance of planning. Um, like you were saying, th- there is a lot of rushing. There's a lot of nonstop action. There's you don't get any time to breathe. It reminded me of is like a Fast and Furious movie in in Star Wars. Like it's yeah. just, and, and and that's my, I think, part of the reason of lack of enjoyment, and we've talked about this uh, off, off the air, where Star Wars kinda needs, Disney needs to pick a lane for Star Wars and stick with it. You know, are you nostalgia bait? Are you trying to carve new paths? Are you trying to be fan service? Because if you just stick with one of those, you'll be fine if that's like, these are what to expect out of these movies, but there's it's, kind of gone everywhere. These three films, uh, I, one insightful comment I read on Reddit was, you know, each, each film seven, eight, nine feel like they're from different trilogies or it feels like there's, it feels like there's two movies between the last Jedi and rise of Skywalker that I miss. Cause there's like when you, when it starts all a bunch of new things have happened seemingly out of nowhere. And all our characters are in really different places personally, professionally, <laughs> And it just, again, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It is, again, all comes back to poor planning.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's our characters. Like I was chuckling through the first probably 10 to 20 minute mark because our characters at one point are literally running from scene to scene, like <laughs> cannot get to the next scene fast enough. And any any issues of logic or or plot holes are immediately brushed over. To get to the next scene, to to get to the end, to end the thing, like it's it it's like they were so busy trying to set up a a a big bad after episode eight, and then immediately defeat our big bad, or or really I should say fight our big bad. Let's be clear. Um, before the end of the film, it's like this film felt like two movies crammed into one.
1: Uh, yeah, or it feels like its own trilogy almost. Yeah, like, <laughs> and it's
0: incredibly apparent, and 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 this happened for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because Episode Seven is just a series of questions with no answers, and Episode Eight is an attempt at div- like subverting expectations away from what people thought the questions in Episode Seven would lead to. Like, rather than just give you what you want, right? Ryan Johnson said, "Well, I'm going to give you something different," which is great, and I think Episode Eight will stand on its own as its own film with its own strengths. But that does leave episode nine in a strange spot because how do you get generic audiences who go see movies, so you're sitting in their chair slack-jawed eating popcorn, uh, <laughs> to, to find that interesting and
1: fun? How do you, you, know? how do you entertain the local slack-jawed? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Bunch so, of, bunch so a bunch mouth of mouth-breathing Star Wars fans. <laughs> a lot of people have said this brought up brought this point and I, I do think it is a little bit of fair criticism is you know, there's nowhere to go after episode eight. Ryan Johnson doesn't set up anything. To which I, I disagree with that because I, I think that well actually no, I agree that not a lot is set up, but I think that frees you up to do anything. He I, I think over more than anything, Ryan Johnson was trying to liberate Star Wars from a number of things. That's why he kills off a number of characters. He's trying to whittle it down, get you fewer people and not put you in boxes. W- which you are in boxes from the first film and and I think mm-hmm. um you know you get <laughs> episode 7 the force awakens doesn't really set up anything either the only thing it sets up is ray going to meet uh luke that's it like right. nothing, nothing else. Like the first order is seemingly defeated in, in the end, and Kylo Ren is well, supposed to go to Snoke. Right? There's also there's also which, Kylo
0: Ren, and that's that's a whole other thing. But yes, yeah.
1: <clears throat> but but I think he, you know, I think Ryan Johnson was trying to free up whoever came afterward to really do, and then we kind of just go. Right back into, again, a lot of people said this feels like a sequel to The Force of Awakens more than it feels like a sequel to The The Last Jedi. Um, yes. And th- there were definitely points, I mean, I was like groaning and moaning and rolling my eyes at a lot of decisions. And in, in hindsight, it's not because, you know, because I don't want to be one of those people that's like, well, it didn't go the way I thought. Um, it's not about that. It's just, And I realize it's more just a lack of setup. And in that a lot of the things, I would be fine with them happening if they had kind of made sense over the course of three films. If our characters were developed over three films.
0: There's definitely moments in this movie where I sighed and rolled my eyes. At one point, I crossed my arms and threw a little tantrum in my seat. I was so frustrated by what was happening, but I think the problem with with Ryan Johnson's Ideology, which is which is solid in, in, in coming at a film, right? I want to do something that people aren't going to expect. You want to give them what they don't know they already want. That's what he says. I don't want to give people what they want. I want to give them what they don't know that they want. Um, surprise them with something new and interesting and complex, uh, like Vader, like like Vader revealing he's Luke's father in Episode Five, right? Yeah. Like it's different and it's new and it opens up doors. The problem with that is. Regardless of his presentation, episode eight is shackled by episode seven and nine. It is it is one in a twisted film human centipede of of Star Wars, <laughs> and like no matter what he does, yeah, ultimately he's gonna, he's going to be trapped. And and this movie has to to bring up the end of that and say, okay, how do we how do we answer that and and also get our characters to an interesting spot that people like and mm-hmm. will buy action figures of.
1: Yeah, and, and that's another problem that we've talked about is everything in Star Wars is done to sell tickets to the parks, sell toys, mer- merchandising. And that's if that's the focus of your movie, it's always going to be compromised, I feel, creatively. Sure. Um, the other thing, that, I mean, there's this this movie is so rushed, there's nothing in it that I can think... Like, I can't quote anything that happened. Like, I, <laughs> there's no any, like, iconic moments. I can't... Like, there's, there's a couple of scenes that stand out, but I can't think of, like, you know... To, to balance in the Force Awakens, like the Force Awakens teaser, when you see Kylo Ren first, like do his to his uh, you know double hilted uh, lightsaber, that that scene became iconic. It became iconic from the tra- the teaser, not even yeah. the the film itself. And there's nothing in this. Um, that kind of does that. And the other thing, the first film that did so well is they, they were getting back to like practical effects. And like, uh, if you've seen the the, 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 behind the scenes, so the, the fight in the forest between uh, Ray and Kylo Ren is they cut down trees and brought them inside and like recreated a studio inside this forest inside for them to, to film. And it's incredible. And then everything in this film is just CGI'd out. It's just green screen to to the max. You've you've lost a lot of the magic that you did create in that that first film.
0: Before we get too far away from it, now that we've talked about this structurally, (laughs) and I'm sure everybody has tuned out, uh, we should talk about things that did work in this movie. Let's get a little bit more narrow. Uh, I know it's tough to talk about without spoilers, but um, like I said, there are things that are successful in this film. I I agree. It is... Just kind of a string of events. But I think there's some moments in here that are worth kind of hanging on to. Certainly characters. Uh, uh, I was surprised at the presence of somebody like Poe Dameron in this film, played by Oscar Isaac. He's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I heard it said Adam Driver holds up the entire franchise. I'm inclined to agree. Also, last week was Adam Driver week, so maybe that's why. But, yeah. <laughs> um, I do I do love me some Adam Driver. Uh, I felt John Boyega was underused. Uh, Daisy Ridley was, you know, good. Uh, she was all right. Um, and those are kind of our big ones. Somehow Anthony. a
1: pretty underdeveloped protagonist. All yeah, right. a
0: little bit. I, I've, I've heard a lot of people on the Internet say, you know, hey, maybe Finn or, or Kylo Ren should have been more of a main character in this than Rey. Uh, yeah, she's just a little underused in a way. Like, she's just a little bland. Um hmm the, the whole, well, where, where do her parents come from and all of that, like, but kind of, because episode eight kind of answered that in a way, I, I wasn't as interested in that this time around. And I think that was Ryan Johnson's point, to be fair, but Disney disagreed with that. So, like, you got to run with what we got, I guess.
1: Yeah. um One thing I've heard that I thought was pretty insightful is, uh, you know, Disney, again, they need to decide, do you want to make a film about old characters and nostalgia or do you want to try to introduce new characters and move forward and what you've done is done both poorly you know you yeah um because there's people you know there's audiences that are of course invested in all the classic characters there's people who are new to star wars and like the newer characters and you've you've kind of done them all a disservice by not being able to pick pick and choose a lane you know uh, as we see Billy D. Williams is in this Lando Calrissian he's kind of he's there so people can say hey he was in the original um, like doesn't serve an overall uh, he's there for a nostalgia reason there's a lot of things that are in but we're trying to be positive well I think he's also
0: <laughs> here's the thing I when it comes to Lando I'm not sure he's in this movie because he was supposed to be I wonder if he's in this movie to help fill in the gaps left by Carrie Fisher right Carrie Fisher is in this sure, film. Fair, enough, uh, fair Yeah. They used a lot of uh, stock footage and, and other takes from previous films to kind of slide her in this, in this weird kind of fo- like a phony way. Like, she was in scenes, but in a way, you're like, I know you didn't film this on set with her. Like, this yeah. was done in CGI. And, like, it works. I, I, was, I was talking to Christine about it because she went and saw it with me. She... she Thought it was fine. And, and honestly, I, I'd i rather she be in there. They totally could have killed off General General Leia Organa in the text crawl at the opening. Like, oh, she's mm-hmm. dead now. Uh, no, she's in it. Um, it's it's a fitting tribute, but I do wonder how the film might have had to have shift shifted because she wasn't in it. I wonder if Lando was a part of that. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that that's a good, you know, because they tell if you're trying to cash in on nostalgia and you one of your pair characters dies in real life, then, you know, you start looking at him, well, who's still, who's still alive. Who's, who's still breathing. Right. Um, I, I, I think this does address the, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of the last Jedi and, you know, one of the criticisms was it, it's too slow. Not enough action happens. There's no, there's, you know, there's no lightsaber battle officially, um, aside from like the throne room fight. Um, in this, we so that we in this, it's kind of compensated the other way. We do get a lot of fi- fighting, we get a lot of action, we get a lot of lightsaber battles. I think we have like three or four. So there's a whole lot of that uh, going on. So you know, for the people that the last I was too slow, this film is definitely moving along at a, at a quick pace.
0: I made a lot of comparisons to other Star Wars films when watching this one. Uh, I think it's hard not to. One I thought about a lot was Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith. Another uh, trilogy capper. Um, I kept thinking of like the big fight at the end of that movie between Obi Wan and Anakin. This huge lightsaber fight they have on Mustafar that's like ten minutes long, and they're doing oh, backflips so and like. Yeah, this movie does not do that in any way. Uh, there's a couple of good lightsaber fights, but there's nothing nothing nearly as flippy and crazy as that. And I think that's probably for the best. I don't, I don't know why I thought that was coming, but like I kind of figured, well they're going to have to do lightsaber fights bigger and badder than ever. No. They they really don't go out of their way to do that. And I think that's good. Like I don't I don't think that's a
1: bad thing. That's definitely an extreme of the the prequel trilogy where they um, you know, all of a sudden all the, the Jedi t- turn into like super ninjas and yeah. have these insane, not realistic battles. And that's what, one thing I liked about, I liked the, the fight, the lightsaber battle at the end of the force awakens, uh, because it, it seems like more of a more traditional, like sword fight, you know, yeah. it, it looks like Kylo Ren looks like he's swinging around a broadsword, not just like flipping off trees and, and stuff. It's definitely brought back to reality a, a lot more.
0: Right. And, and it's, Filmed in a clever way because as, as the fight goes on, we can see our, our two kind of characters getting more tired and their swings are starting to take longer and they're starting to, to – and, and like the camera just kind of moves in closer and closer and closer and you realize like the tension is rising because you know something bad is going to happen to one of them. Something this light. Somebody loses a lightsaber fight, right? Like nobody, nobody just walks away from these things. Um, and it's actually really well put together. Um, but as far as raising the stakes in the prequel trilogy with more lightsabers and ninja Jedi, this movie does the opposite with the bad guys. Uh, as you, you might remember in the trailer, uh, how do what do we do that's bigger than one Star Destroyer? Well, we got to have a hundred Star Destroyers,
1: right? Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> this movie raises the stakes in a way that doesn't help it in a way that I think the prequel trilogy might've done better.
1: Right. Yeah. It definitely, all of a sudden there's kind of an army out of, out of nowhere. Um, and again, where, where the force awakens was pretty well, I I felt was uh, just making good decisions was modest about its scope. Um, this is like the opposite. And again, and again the, the Last Jedi people complain that it's too minimalistic, uh, which I, I kind of prefer. Like, I know, like, I, I like the opening of The Last Jedi because that you know what's happening in that battle. They're trying to bomb the, the dreadnought, you know, it's a very clear plan. Or when they're on crate, you know, the, the First Order is trying to blow down this door. And so you can follow yeah. what's happening in these battles. When we get into the battles kind of in this movie, and this, this happens the same thing in Revenge of the Sith, you have no idea what's going on or who's really shooting at who or who the good, like, it's just things flying around, lots of blaster fire. You don't re- you don't really know what's happening, but, not, but it also doesn't really matter. You're not supposed to. It's just an exciting space battle.
0: Yeah, and, and as far as that large army that kind of comes out of nowhere goes, it, it's frustrating because it felt like Episode Eight ended... On such a clear note, like, Ryan Johnson really went out of his way to say, hey, there's almost nothing left of the Resistance. The First Order is bigger than ever. The stakes could not be higher. And this movie still feels the need to jump the shark in a way that is completely unnecessary and just feels phony. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, that, that's how I walked away from a lot of this movie. Things just felt forced. It just felt like somebody somewhere was, was looking at, you know stats of what people like to see in movies and like well, we got to do this we got to do this thing we got to have this scene where this happens it's rushed and it's not quite as thought out as it should have been and it's it's really not it's not a fitting end i think to the trilogy that it could have been it works and it satisfies me from what's come before but i know there's going to be a lot of people out there who are always going to hate
1: it right yeah i mean i think the biggest thing that it does that that's a problem it just it makes it uninteresting. Like, I, I saw The Force Awakens four times in theaters. I saw The Last Jedi three times in theaters. I've seen this once. I don't have any desire to go back and get a second viewing. I do think I would enjoy it more on subsequent viewings, knowing what kind of movie it is, knowing that it's like a fast-paced action thing, that it's not like a deep character study. Um, so I think knowing knowing that, I would enjoy it more on subsequent viewings, but also just don't care, which I think is a real shame. The other thing I want to touch on is this movie has a lot of... Uh, kind of bait and switch things where you, you think something dramatic has happened and then it's kind of undone a few scenes later this film does that a lot and it just it shows how much the movie is just risk averse um, and again, right that, that just makes for for boring cinema I think
0: right bait and switch would work across three films but trying to do it in one two-hour movie it's just too much like I don't know yeah like you said it's it's a clear lack of planning across the whole trilogy. It's so frustrating coming from the same studio that produced Avengers Endgame, which was the, the penultimate work of over 20 films and a decade worth of
1: production. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's... it's uh, and I... I, re, I re, just a few uh, days ago, I rewatched the Infinity War saga, and I was just thinking, like, it has a lot of the same stuff. You have clear good guys, bad guys, space magic action drama like everything that people want but somehow they manage to make it all make sense have characters you care about have plot uh elements that make sense and the other thing i think that's different about marvel is people sit back and just wait to see oh i can't wait to see what happens in the next marvel film whereas with star wars people come to it with an agenda well i, I think this is going to happen or i want this to happen so it's it's the difference of you know waiting to see where you're getting to dinner and then de- and demanding what you want for dinner. Andy, would you recommend Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker? I would recommend it to the fans. Like if you're <laughs> if you're a big Star Wars fan, like you're going to enjoy it. If you're yeah. not, I, I think I would honestly, if you're not a big Star Wars fan, I think I would would skip it actually. Um, and I think, like I said, th- this this film is it's made made me a little bit less interested in what what they're doing. Um, so I, yes, with with caveats. If you're a big fan, you know, and some people, uh, I, and I want to say this positively a lot of people are really enjoying this film a lot of people are loving it they're having a lot of fun and if you're having a good time at the cinema that's always a good thing and i never want to take away from that um so if you're a fan i think you're you'll probably enjoy it some fans hate it um if you're not big on star wars I, i would say skip it which is not something i would have said about the previous two films
0: yeah i think i'm in the same boat i i I think it's a fun time. I think if you've seen the other ones and you feel like, "You know what? I want to know where it's going." Go see it. Yo, know, I think I think you'll have a good time, but if you if you're going to like if you have any desire to nitpick and pull apart and and kind of tug at those loose threads, you're going to hate this movie. Like I you're not going to like it. You're you're going to be frustrated and you're going to feel like, "Well, this is garbage." And and you're not going to be into it. But if I don't know if you can keep in mind that it's an adventure film that's primarily made for children. At least now it is. Um, I, I mean, I think it's a relatively good time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you like Star Wars, go, it, worth your time.
1: Right. and I think it's important to mention so I listened to an interview with J.J. Abrams and uh, you know he said they had three fewer months to do Rise of Skywalker than they did The Force Awakens and that The Force Awakens was incredibly rushed on its timeline as well he said they they barely had enough time to get that, that film out in time for the deadline and that that they, I mean, they just didn't plan any farther. They had some loose ideas of, well, here's where we would go next, but there is, they just didn't have the time because they were trying to hit the release deadlines. And I, that's important to know, and I think it, it, you know, really shows, unfortunately, in the across all three films, which is a shame.
0: Yeah, it really does. Um, I, I, kind of a sorry end to uh, this new trilogy, but um, you know, I've heard it said Star Wars may be in the best place it's been in years because now. We are unshackled, we are free, and we have nothing but are we, yes. are we? <laughs> everything everything good will happen now Andy you'll see you hate yeah. hater um yeah so yeah I hope I, so.
1: I hope so 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 and to finish off on that the the new whatever is coming next in Star Wars is slated for december twenty twenty two so we got about three years to get Disney has three years to get their act together and see what the future of star wars is going to look like. Is Ryan Johnson still making a Star Wars trilogy? Uh, to, well, to what I don't know if it's a trilogy. I know he he is still involved. It's rumored he might be heading this new film, but he may not because, as we saw, D and D, the showrunners of Game of Thrones, were kicked off their Star Wars trilogy. So uh, we don't know. Like announcements should be coming soon. Actually, probably next month, uh, and and we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So,
0: keep it on off script for more. That about wraps our Star Wars talk. We will have more of it. It is owned by Disney. There will be more of these movies. It's not over till it's over. Uh, it, after that, though, since now we're it's over, what we're talking about. That was the worst, <laughs> the worst segue of 2019. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get into our uh, big, big list. I guess do we have do we have music for this from last year or something?
1: Uh, I don't know. We might have to figure it out. Maybe I'll find something. Uh,
0: well, this is our top 10 lists of 2019. Yes. Hooray,
1: that's right. Sir. That's right.
0: I'm clapping for myself. It's very exciting. Uh, these are our top 10 films of the year. We've got some honorable mentions. Andy was kind enough to put together a very short worst films of the year um, that we'll get to at the <laughs> end. I think we talked about this before we started recording the show. I think the best way to do this is probably bust through our top seven each, eight, and then turns out, for the first time in off-script history, uh, a podcast <laughs> first, our one and two of this year are the same, which I did not expect. I thought Andy was going to go a different way, so I'm excited to talk about that. So, Andy, if you want to kick it off with your ten through three then I'll do my 10 through 3 I'll do number 2 you do number 1 we'll hit some honorable mentions we'll hit the worst and then we're on in 1917 sound good?
1: alright yeah alright
0: confusing we're gonna get through it together here we go uh, <laughs> alright so, so
1: start away. at number 10 my top 10 uh, is or number 10 is Booksmart the Olivia, Olivia Wilde uh, comedy starring Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Dever uh, number 9 is Joker Todd Phillips with which we this was a huge movie talked about it all year good stuff Our, yeah, um, Knives Out, the Ryan Johnson Who Done It, incredible new film after you know follow up to um, the Rise of not Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> The Last Jedi. Yes, um, The Art of Self Defense. Who I can't remember the um, the director, but this was the uh, in- indie film starring Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots and uh, Alessandro Nivola uh, from the Summer, which was really good. Nineteen Seventy,
0: directed by Riley Stearns. Yes, thank you. Yes.
1: 1917 the sam mendes film world war one film which we're going to be talking about a little bit later the irishman at number five which is of course uh, martin scorsese's uh gangster epic this kind of final ode to the genre i think avengers endgame um <laughs> mostly if anything because it capped off a 22 film 11 year arc in a really satisfying wake in in a year when People have been upset about the ends of a lot of things uh avengers endgame uh did it right and and marvel has been a huge thing for um you know the, not only 2019 but the past decade which we can get into more next week at number three midsummer Ari Aster's follow-up to um, Hereditary from last year. The, uh, the s- summer horror breakup film, uh, which happens all in complete daylight. Um, incredible film. So that's my number 10 through number 3. And Zach?
0: A solid just short of top, t- top 7 minus a couple. It's fine. Top 8? Uh, <laughs> yeah, my list is actually surprisingly similar to Andy's, not only because we both do a podcast together, but because we both have great taste. So... Uh, My number 10 is Avengers Endgame. I know it seems weird to see it at the bottom of the list. I felt almost almost obligated to put this one on there. There's a lot of great films that came out this year. We'll catch some more of my honorable mentions, but this one... There's just something special about it. There's a feeling that I couldn't shake. Number 9, 1917, the Sam Mendes film. But wait, aren't you guys talking about that in a minute? We are. Hold on. Is the reason it's on both of our top 10 lists. We'll talk about it in a second. Uh, Joker, the Todd Phillips film, is my number 8. Midsummer was my number 7 from Andy's number 3, so a big step back, but still a top 10 film. Knives Out at number 6. Uh, the Ryan Johnson film was a ton of fun. Ford v. Ferrari, a movie that was not on Andy's Andy's list I had a ton of fun in this movie Mm -hmm. I felt like I was in the car with Christian Bale and his stupid (laughs) fake accent and I loved it number four the art of self defense yes it's weird seeing this one on both lists but I couldn't stop thinking about it I've been thinking about it a lot since actually I think I might try to find a copy for myself number three marriage story the Noah Baumbach film we watched last week starring Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson It's a triumphant film about two people talking in rooms I loved it uh, and we should get to our top two films of the year. If I had a drum roll, I'd play it. I don't, but I'm gonna take this one. Number two for both of us is The Lighthouse. Tell me, what's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living, It's like any man. Starting new. On the run. Yes, The Lighthouse, uh, a, a incredible Robert Eggers film, uh, his second big one starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, about two, uh, I was going to say young men, two men uh, of, of, of different stat standings uh, trapped on a lighthouse island together in the early 1900s. Is a black-and-white film. It is gritty and grimy, and I loved it. It has an energy I haven't felt in the movies in a long time. I'm still thinking about it, even after it's gone. That's why it's on my top 2. Andy, why is it on yours?
1: It's it's an incredible film that is, you know, it's one of those those things that cinephiles will enjoy but it also is an entry point to or maybe it, it may be kind of extreme for mainstream, but at the same time it's just it's it's an incredibly well-made film that is really a deep character study about these two characters. Uh, just descending into madness and there's themes, uh, there's just incredible th- storytelling and, and themes. There's all this Greek mythology kind of in the background. Uh, there's, you don't really know who to believe. Uh, no one's really telling, you know, a hundred percent of the truth uh, in the film. And then of course, as we talked about the incredible um, performances uh, like that. Unfortunately, um, Willem Dafoe hasn't been getting a lot of attention for it, but he should absolutely be winning best picture or sorry, best actor for for his role it's, it's just incredible
0: yeah he's he's got a, a one monologue in particular in this film that is so striking like you can, it's one long take monologue that is incredible um one of many great things about this movie the lighthouse is a ton of fun if you haven't seen it i cannot recommend it enough andy please uh the honor is yours our number one film of the year
1: bong jun ho's parasite <laughs> Uh, so this, of course, was the uh, foreign film or international film from South Korean director Bong jun ho about uh, kind of inequality in South Korea. It, it focuses on a poor family. Uh, I can't remember any, anyone's name. And they, who, who, they kind of swindle their way into a more wealthy family into to be... Into their employ, you know, they start. Uh, you know, first the son is hired on as the English teacher, and then the, the daughters hired on as the art teacher. Before you know, the whole family is working for this more wealthy family, uh, and you know they're kind of pulling a fast one on one on them because none of them are actually qualified in anything they do. Um, and then the story kind of midway takes takes a, a really su- a surprising turn, but it's just this incredible. Uh, portrayal and criticism of of rampant consumerism and inequality without condemning um, kind of either side. It's not, you know, what I've said before, it's not about saying rich people are are bad. It's about the evil uh, behind the system that creates incredible wealth and incredible uh, poverty and how even it, how it pits everyone against uh, each other. And it's just, it's an incredible, it's an incredibly portrayed, uh, film, the, the characters, the cinematography, the, the architecture, there's this whole thing about height, you know, like first story, second story, third story, kind of the architecture of, of where people are in the film, uh, you know, is parallel to them, them trying to rise up through, through the ranks of capitalism. It's just, it's incredibly well-made and, um, it's definitely, uh, my top film of the year.
0: Uh, man, I, I love this movie so much. I, I have been thinking about it ever since I saw it. Watching screenshots or, or even the trailer, again, brings me right back to sitting in the theater. Um, I, I, it's one of those movies I'm almost like hesitant to tell people about uh, this the, the plot because I just want them to just go in as fresh as possible like I did. Um, it is such an experience. I've never watched a film that takes a turn in the middle of it and and almost on a dime becomes an entirely different genre of film like this one does. And it works so well and it's so effective at luring you into liking these characters and becoming kind of charmed by their tale. And then before you know it, you're completely emotionally invested in what's coming next and it hits you like a freight train. I I, I don't even know who to recommend this movie to. I've struggled with people who said, Hey, do you think I'd like that movie? And I say, I don't You'll like the first half or, Oh my God, <laughs> you'll love the second half. But it's so challenging for me to like really wrap my head around how I feel about it. It may be one of my favorite films of the decade, probably not number one, but probably in my top 10. So you may see it next week as well. I loved parasite. Oh my God. I had fun watching this movie. I can't wait to see it again.
1: It brings up complex issues or issues in a complex way. Uh, I've listened to a great podcast on The Dark Knight about how it's it's a parallel to the Bush administration and the war on terror and how Christopher Nolan is bringing up complex, uh, not black and white answers uh, to kind of a lot of the issues. And that's kind of what Parasite does as well with regards to inequality. It's bringing up a lot of complex or issues in a complex way and well thought out way, not just saying capitalism is bad or rich people are bad, you know it's much more deep than that.
0: Right. And, and it's done in such a way that like, you don't even realize you don't even realize it's happening for most of it. You're just watching the plot of this kind of family doing their thing, um, spinning their, spinning their web as it were. And, and by the time you get to the end of it, you realize, Oh, there's, there's definitely some subtext here and themes that I think are obvious enough for anybody who gets charmed into watching it. I think by the end, you'll find yourself surprised at what you've kind of felt. Um, in a way that a movie called *Parasite* should not make you feel right. Like by, by, by its very title, you would think it wouldn't be what it is, and that's kind of what the movie's all about: is is being more than meets the eye, being something you're not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, right. It's it's effective in its storytelling, its characters, and its themes. Uh, it runs so deep to what the movie is. I I, I couldn't think of a better t- a better name for it. I, I I thought this movie was so cool.
1: Well, and it's also also just you know who who is the parasite in the movie that's you know it you think you know who it is in the beginning by the end it's it's kind of unclear
0: well honorable mentions you want to talk about those
1: yeah so here's my uh, short list of honorable mentions uh climax the gaspar noe film uh which was really incredible experience uh the farewell lulu wong's uh Chinese film about, uh, with starring Aquafina about the grandma who's dying and no one's going to tell her. Uh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time dot 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 in Hollywood. And Jordan Peele's Us. My,
0: um, honorable mention list seems very similar. I also have Once Upon a Time dot 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 in Hollywood. I know, how could we not put a Tarantino film on our top 10 of the year? Um, But it was a great year at the movies and we we thought about it and and here's where we're at. I also put The Farewell on there. I was so bummed I didn't have a slot for this one because when I went and saw it, if you'd asked me then, I would have said easily it's top 10. Us is on there as well Jordan Jordan Peele's film I wanted this one to make it at one point it had but I had to move some things around Booksmart also got bumped it would have been very close had this been a top 11 that probably would have been it I also featured El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, for being probably the best TV film I've ever seen. Uh, mm-hmm. Missing Link, the Leica film, because God bless it, I love those guys and I <laughs> like those movies and I love stop motion. And it wasn't a great film, but I enjoyed it a lot. I put Ready or Not, the horror comedy
1: film, on here. Yeah, that was a Samara big good, that was a nice surprise.
0: I. I was surprised by it. I had a lot of fun watching that movie. Uh, I thought it was kind of clever. And also Martin Scorsese's The Irishman did not make my list. Uh, those old old men talking about bad things they did 100 billion years ago just didn't quite catch me in the same way it did everybody else. Uh, and also some 2018 mentions, films that I saw this year that came out last year. Uh, Climax, Sorry to Bother You, and They Shall Not Grow Old. The documentary were all tremendous. But they came out last year. Obviously, they're not on the list. Worst movies of the year. Andy, the best part of the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Uh,
1: Child's Play, the 2019 reboot, which I walked out of. I've never walked out of anything before. <laughs> uh, Hellboy, Uh really bad remake. I was all over the place. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, I didn't see the first one. Apparently, the first Godzilla in the series is, is really good. And this one was just so much action and it was just hard to follow anything X-Men Dark Phoenix uh not that it's not terrible it's just such a disappointment like to end like the long series that has been X the X-Men kind of first class uh it was just not a what real well made film and of course replicas which i almost completely forgot about which i saw i think january of 2019 uh, the county reeves a uh, sci-fi film is really bad it's like it's like bc movie level bad
0: i'll be honest when i saw this list i had to go look up replicas because i didn't remember <laughs>
1: exactly yeah,
0: we didn't watch it for the show. That was that was that was news to me. So it's not that I No, wasn't I think doing my we
1: homework, did do it but. for the show.
0: <laughs> get the hell out of here. We did not watch that movie for the show. We There's did. no way. We did. No, stop. Okay, tell you what, when we get off, you tell me what episode we watched that in and I would love to go back and hear my own review because I do not remember watching replicas at all. Mm-hmm. God, maybe you're right. Maybe we did watch it. I don't know. Um but mostly agreement. One thing though before I get off of this, well two things. Uh one it's been it's been far enough or away from it. What what part of Child's Play did you walk out on again? Like how far into that movie did you make it? Because I watched the whole thing.
1: Um, after the guy kind of gets killed in the, his backyard by the lawnmower thing, sometime after that.
0: Oh, is that when he gets pulled in by the Christmas lights? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he falls. He's 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 putting Christmas lights on his house at night. Uh, and he falls off and gets tangled in the lights, and then there's, like, a big lawnmower that grabs the light string and literally pulls him in. It's, like, something out of an 80s. Like, I mean, it's supposed to be something out of an 80s slasher flick, but, like, man, it jumps the shark in a way that it's just not any good. Uh, what do you think? Last thing, what 2019 at the movies, what do you think? Just kind of an over-encompassing good bad
1: ugly I, you know people always say well this this was a great year for film or this was a terrible year for film I, honestly I feel like every year is a great year for film every year there's you're going to have a top 10 list and you're not going to be able to fill it like there's great films every year um, I mean I, th- I thought it was I, thought, I did think it was good we had you know the end of Star Wars the end of uh, Aven- Avengers the first three phases uh, there were lots of great indie films Um, There were things I was excited to see all year. I think what I was most excited to see um, all year was probably Joker. I was so hyped for it. You were very
0: into that movie. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel the same way. I I thought this movie was not that great. No, this movie. This year was not that great at the movies up until I sat down and started putting my list together and realized, oh, I need seven more slots because I can't decide what my top ten are. Um, like we talked about before the show, putting together a top 10 list, it's usually pretty easy to get the first few. They kind of stand out in your mind in a way the others don't, but man, the other, the other bunch, like they're real hard to kind of slot in and say, well, I like this more than that. Crossing genres and crossing directors and tones and formats. Like it's really difficult to say what is the best or what is the worst, but I had a ton of fun watching movies this year. I hope next year's as good as this year. That's, that's what I think it was. It, I, for me, it was a good year at the movies. Mm
1: hmm.
0: And with that, we should move on to our final review of the episode. Uh, you kind of know how we feel about it already, because it was on both of our top <laughs> ten lists. Um, I'm going to be taking the summary on this. The movie is 1917.
1: What the hell are you doing, large Corporal?
0: No! 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 If you fail, it will be a massacre. So, 1917 is the story of Lance Corporal Blake and Lance Corporal Schofield, two young British men in the midst of the very first World War. The day is April 6th, 1917, and our two young men are tasked by General Aaron Moore, played by Colin Firth, to cross enemy lines, to go nine miles into deep German territory to deliver a message to a 1,600 men deep company that is just about to attack a German line at dawn. It's a trap, he tells them. Uh, uh, They they are going to get lured in, and every one of those men is going to be murdered, including Lance Corporal Blake, one of our two protagonists' brother. So, with personal stakes on the line, the two of them have less than 24 hours to make it across no man's land, trenches, barbed wire, snipers, and everything in between to deliver a message, or 1,600 men are going to die. Time is the enemy in Sam Mendes' is 1917. Andy, what did you think of 1917?
1: Uh, this movie was incredible. Um, great performances nothing but tension throughout the whole time. Um, Just the production of it. They they recreated a lot of world war one things. I mean, complicated things like these trenches, these giant uh, ditches, um, these barbed wire kind of no man's land areas, um, mine shafts, uh, other things. I mean, it was just from a production standpoint, Incredible! Like it, it must have been such a massive undertaking, and then at the same time you have uh, these our two protagonists kind of having to navigate really dangerous, you, you know. And it's like the Germans are gone, but are they gone? Kind of, uh, you know. They have to navigate some really dangerous uh, terrain and situations, and uh, the film is also made to look like it's one continuous shot, which uh, which we know it's not, but it's it, it's filmed essentially in real time, like the two hours or so that that you watch it. the, the you know, there's no time kind of cut out. Um, so yeah, I, th- I thought it was incredible and it does the thing that a lot of war films should do is it, it's making a lot of um, commentary about war and the nature of war and uh, the pointlessness of it in a lot of ways. And also giving you insights of, about what it was to be there at that time.
0: Yes. Uh, I'm just about in a hundred percent agreement. This movie is tremendous. It is triumphant uh, it is such a charming tale, and kind of harrowing tale, I should say, it's that charming, of of two young men who are completely out of control. They have no control over anything that is happening to them. They're given orders, they don't know what's, what's behind enemy lines, they don't know what's over the ridge line right next to them. They don't know what's coming around the corner, all they know is they have to make it from A to B in the most efficient way possible. It is such an interesting way to look at something like a World War, especially one that not many people remember. I, I compared this movie to They Shall Not Grow Old in the way that that movie, uh, a documentary about World War One, doesn't look at the worldwide war. It focuses on British soldiers during the World War. It's just a very specific look at a very broad, large battle. And that's exactly what this is. It's one very specific tale. In, like wrapped in a huge sweeping problem. And and the way these two, two young men are forced to overcome obstacles and odds and certainly their own fears in wh- what feels like one long take shot by the incredible Roger Deakins, of course, cinematographer of Blade Runner 2049, last year's mega hit. Uh, <laughs> it, it's such an effective... Look at filmmaking, storytelling, pacing, theme, structure, acting. I loved so much about this movie. And and the further I get away from it, the more I like it. So I'm glad it's on my top ten. It'll probably move up a couple slots as time goes on. Andy, let's talk about 1917. I think the best place to start talking about this is the setting. It's exactly what you said. The trenches, the battlefield, (laughs) the no man's land. And Sam Mendes has taken absolutely... No prisoners, and making this thing look as authentic as possible, and I think he, I think he did it.
1: Yeah. So the the opening shot, um, you know, you, we found our two uh, corporals, um, kind of, I think they're just sleeping actually, and they get woken up and saying, "Hey, you've been called to a meeting." And then there's this really long take where they have to walk kind of into the into these trenches and through them, and and there's not any fighting happening, but they are just busy. They're full of people, and it, and it just it must have taken you know, huge amounts of of rehearsal. Um, But you get that feeling of what it's like to be in there. They're in, you're in these like six, seven foot trenches. They're packed. There's no like incredibly unsanitary. Everyone's wet. Everyone's just gross, you know? And then you get kind of through the landscape as well, because there's a part where they have to navigate, you know, what are these big craters caused by, by shelling, which eventually fill up with water and things like dead bodies and dead horses. And there's all these, uh, so there's obviously a lot of, like, death and, like, destruction around it that they have to carefully um, navigate uh, and get through. And it's, like, you just, it, he pulls you into the world of the film because every, like, they're wet and they're covered in mud and they're, like, sinking half the time. It's just, it, it does a great job of, of pulling you into it and making it feel incredibly authentic.
0: Yeah. Um, as our characters, like, we very charmingly presented to them. On, on ground uh, as they're sleeping night by an orchard, and and they're woken up said, and they're told, hey, you gotta get orders. And they start walking together towards the camera, and as they're walking, they start walking into the trench, and the camera just kind of sinks down in the trench with them, and you really get this feeling of, like, okay, we're, we're descending into the adventure. What you're descending into is hell, uh, and you're about to find out how bad it's gonna get for these guys, but you're, you really presented this, this tremendous look at nature versus, like, Humans, humanity, and 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 throughout the film, we have these muddy, horrible trenches that are covered in corpses and rats and and bombs and everything else, set against this beautiful backdrop of these gorgeous fields in spring, uh, or actually December. It's right by Christmas, I think they said uh, November, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, our 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 two protagonists are, are are quickly given their orders within the first ten minutes of the film. This movie wastes no time. Uh, and as they approach no man's land, they they, they run into a character who, who who very very plainly explains to them that they're most likely going to die, that nothing good is going to happen, and by then you're on the roller coaster and and you're in and you're you're going and and this kind of one take illusion that movies like Birdman have done before has always worked really well on me. Um, because I I love long takes. They're not easy to do. They're deceptively easy. Um, They're very hard to pull off and this movie does them so well. And as our soldiers are crossing no man's land and then getting into enemy trenches and then dealing with enemy fire, like this constant sense of tension never goes away. You're never given a break. Um, They're always in danger. They're always on the run. Time is always ticking away. Um, And it's such a great framework to tell a intimate story in, um, on top of the world war, which is huge. Um, tremendous setting. And and I loved it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Like I said, it's, um, there's reason it's on our top 10 and the the way they've recreated it, it. And it's everything from the costumes to the, the environment themselves, uh, armor tanks guns all, all that stuff it, it it really is authentic and I, I only recently kind of learned about world war one through a very long podcast series that was about 25 hours long and everything i imagined in my head is what i got to see on screen
0: being that this is a podcast we should probably mention that, <laughs> what that podcast is uh, uh,
1: yes that was the uh hardcore history a um, hardcore war- history World War I series. It is
0: hardcore by the way if you've never heard it, worth a listen, but my god Um, We should talk about our actors of course, our two young men that are holding up this film. Uh, Lance Corporal Blake, played by Dean Charles Chapman, who was one of the Lannister kids in (laughs) Game (laughs) Game of of Thrones Thrones. Uh, He was, which one? Tommen Tommen Lannister Uh, He is younger brother of Joffrey, that should give you an idea, without spoiling what happens in Game of Thrones, not that it matters. The other, uh, uh, Lance Corporal Schofield, the other guy, is played by George McKay, who we we went and saw this together, uh, we looked it up after. This kid has not been in anything you've seen.
1: <laughs> yeah, mostly I, British TV.
0: Yes, uh, he's not been in anything I've seen. Uh, I, I, I don't know where he came from, but he's great, and I'm excited to see him in more. Um, I thought I saw he was going to be in something... Coming up, uh, but I can't remember what. As IMDb doesn't say, um, but keep an eye out for him. It reminds me of um, the kid who played Solo. What's his name?
1: Uh, oh, I know oh what you're talking about. It. I've, I, can't I've
0: I panicked. All right, hold on. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> these these two kids are tremendous. They're passionate. Uh, they're scared in this movie, and it shows. And that those long takes, man, they're not easy for actors. Like those are hard to do, and they they really get you immersed in the characters and it matters um i i told you one of our leads already our leads our side characters already Colin Firth plays General Aaron Moore there are a handful of other famous actors uh in this yeah, movie yeah make not cameos a, i i not a whole lot of actresses uh because you know it's it's world war 1 um But overall, I I was very pleased with our very simple cast. Like I said, it's a very simple story, and it's effective. And there are hundreds of side characters and other little soldiers walking through the trenches that these guys are constantly walking by who are just background noise um, Mm -hmm. compared to what's actually happening. Really good stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, these are are two friends who are on this mission. And when they don't realize they're on this mission initially, like he just says, hey, like uh, the guy comes up to him and says, hey, pick someone and come with me. And so he does, just basically the guy he's sitting next to, and so and now they get on this kind of suicide mission. <laughs> um, but it, you know they have a great friendship, and they have to you know depend on each other for uh, survival to get through um, everything that happens. I mean, it's a very dangerous uh, mission because they just them two have to, and it's only, I mean, only nine miles, but it's nine miles on foot. It's nine miles across uh, trenches and barbed wire and. Uh, you know, there's the enemy is still out there somewhere. The the Germans have retreated, but uh, to what point, you know? Um, so it's, it's just, it's an incredible, uh, it's, it's a buddy, buddy cop story in a lot of, a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, like the, their relationship is, is really touching and moving and really uh, important.
0: Something else that touched me in this movie was the cinematography. Uh, I mentioned this is done by Roger Deakins, who's done a ton of great films, um, including Blade Runner 2049. Although it's all one take, which isn't something Deakins Deakins is really experienced in, um, he still manages to pull off these fantastic set pieces, these fantastic moments visually. Um, A couple that really stand out to me, uh, as our characters are traveling through No Man's Land originally... They go down into this very large crater. Uh, Somebody tells them earlier, they said, don't fall in the craters. Uh, They're deeper than you think. There's a bunch of bodies in there. You you don't want to be in a crater. Well, at one point, they have to go through one. And as they dip down into it, this one long take shot has a camera on a crane. And the crane comes all the way down just over the water, just over it. And it just hovers as it follows these guys. And then it comes right back out with them. Um, and it's such a clean shot, and it's so well done, and I have no idea how they put that together mechanically, but it looks fantastic and it keeps you totally tuned into what's happening. The other is when our characters finally approach evening, it's night, and they have to work their way through those ruins of this just little little town that's been absolutely demolished, and there's flares going off at night, and so in between pitch black we have these flares flying up into the sky and light just shifting all over the place, and you can't see anybody. So naturally, when you're trying not to get shot by bad guys and you can't see what the hell's going on, um, it creates a sense of chaos and panic um, in this beautiful kind of way that's fantastic. Deacons is, is brilliant at it. Um, anyway, two shots I really loved. Andy, what'd you think of the cinematography?
1: Um... I keep using the word incredible but yeah, like everything in this film, everything looks so well like you like you said that sweeping shot uh, through the crater is really really nice. And also there's a couple of really long takes through trenches uh, where you know people had to pull this camera backward while they all this they walk through these long trenches and they go through and there's also you know as you've seen uh, kind of from the trailer, uh, th- there are a couple of kind of larger war pieces where there's like a bunch of people running and there's a, a bombardment and um, you know that stuff is, is incredible too. It-, it reminds me so much of Dunkirk which you still haven't seen but... <laughs> <laughs> But it, it, it I have has the Blu-ray. It's on my shelf. I haven't watched it. But D- Dunkirk is very much about uh, tension and, rat- and kind of ratcheting up the, the tension constantly. And this film does does the same thing. While also, uh, you know, saying a lot about uh, the nature of warfare.
0: Mm-hmm. It's worth mentioning. Uh, uh, Deacons and Sam Mendes have worked together previously outside of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Uh, Roger Deakins also shot Skyfall and Sicario, and Fargo. If you want to go way back to what that guy's been working on, back in ninety six, he shot that. So. Guy works hard. Um, I think the set, the soundtrack is, is is triumphant when it needs to be, and it's it's quiet when it doesn't. Um, often there's not a whole lot going on in the soundtrack; just kind of quiet. Um, yeah, it's just that thing. sense of
1: foreboding constantly. Yeah,
0: um, but overall, I thought the set design was incredible. Like you said, uh, when you when you get pulled into a trench, it feels like they just dropped you in 1917 in a trench. Um, it doesn't feel like you're ever in a studio, which I'm sure they were at some points, but it feels like everything's shot on location. Um, the editing is nearly seamless. There's a couple of points that seemed a little little clumsy, but otherwise, I mean, that's it's mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Um, man, I, I thought a lot of this movie. The costume design is fantastic. Um, I, I, any, any other wrap-up thoughts? I feel like we're getting any more. You start to get the spoilers. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, uh, just about a few of the themes uh, of the film. It's obviously about war, but it's, you know, it touches on a lot of things about how, you know, these are very young men um, about just kind of the pointlessness of it. There's a part where they're, you know, they get on a a truck that's kind of behind enemy lines. It's not occupied. And they said, you know, we fought for years over this and it's just open fields with kind of nothing. Um, And, you know, there's moments of, of great humanity juxtaposed with great destruction, you know, a character will do have to do something or will do something good in one moment and then have to turn around and do something terrible in, in the next. And that's just kind of the nature of, of war and how to, sometimes you just you don't have time to process anything that happens. Like something tragic might happen and you just have to move on. Like you don't have time. Uh, to grieve or to mourn or to to deal with the process that what's happening. You just have to go, go, go. And so I I thought, you know, the film, while it tells a small story, it also comments on larger things. And that's another reason it's so great.
0: Mm. Andy, would you recommend 1917?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an incredible film. It is, uh, you know there's not a lot of things about world war 1 although i think there is more started to be more more interest uh, it's a heartwarming story it's it's tense it's not too violent like you know this is one of those th- those war movies where actually not a whole lot happens there's not a a ton of uh, battles or anything like that it's more about the the tension and and the mood uh, that being said that you know it is it reminds me a lot of Saving uh, Private Ryan, so there are some intense intense, uh, scenes, and so people should be aware about that uh, content warning-wise, but overall, absolutely recommend it.
0: I would recommend it as well. It is a ton of fun. If you're a history buff, you're going to love it. I'm excited to go see it probably with my dad in a couple weeks. Hopefully, it's in Houston by then, because I could not find a screening for this movie anywhere, um, especially in Houston, Texas. Uh, Fortunately, we found a couple in DFW, so it all worked out. But... um, it's so much fun, and it's so engaging, and it just pulls you in and just does not let go. And for two hours, you're tuned in. I didn't check my watch once. I didn't want to. I didn't want to look away. Um, I, I loved watching this movie. It was a ton of fun. Uh, it's a great time, 1917. Do not walk, run to the theater. And with that, that is our final review of 2019. We only have a few hours till 2020 anyway, because it's actually New Year's Eve, so what are the odds? Uh, Andy, any 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 wrap-up thoughts? Uh, for, for for the year i don't know uh, any 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 thoughts oh, gosh <laughs> that's
1: tough um a great year in in cinema uh, there's always you know there's always things coming out even amidst the the sequels and reboots and franchises there's always still a lot of independent cinema there's things to blow you know blow your hair back bold cinema is alive and well
0: it's true. Uh, thank you for listening to Script through 2019. We're going strong into 2020. We're watching more movies. We're doing more podcasts. It's going to be great. So keep it right here for more. Uh, thank you for listening. If you want to see or hear more of our episodes, check us out on Facebook. We're on Twitter, Instagram, all the social media stuff. We're around. You know how it goes. Uh, we're on YouTube. You can find our stuff there. And, of course, we're on your favorite podcast distributor. If you have the means, please throw us a subscribe. It'd mean a lot like a lot a lot uh, and i'd appreciate (laughs) it Uh, also rating and review but i know it's extra credit uh but you know it's like tipping your waitress all right throw your favorite podcast a rating and review do them a solid come on it's 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 good it's good practice good podcast listening habits and as always uh thanks for listening to the show i suppose from all of us at off
1: script the home of bold cinema i'm zach lewis and i'm dr draper thanks for listening